Hi, thanks for checking out this message from our River Valley Church family here in Boise, Idaho. We hope that it encourages and inspires you. For more messages, be sure to check out our other podcasts. For more content from River Valley, go to our website, rivervalleyboise.com. Enjoy this message. Well, good morning, good morning. Third through fifth graders, if you're in here, you guys can head back if you want and go ahead and join your classes. Can we give them a hand as they go this morning? Come on now. If you need help knowing where to go, there's some folks out there that will help you get there. Uh, man, what a great morning to be together today. How many of you guys had a wonderful Easter last week? Yeah, what a great time to just be together with family and enjoy some time together. Um, we're in a series right now as a church family, and we're talking about the table. And we're taking some time to look at a few of the meals that Jesus had with people and really kind of what the context was around there. We've been in this for about six weeks now, and, and I'm just loving what God's teaching us about His heart um, and, and how we see Jesus and the people that He hung out with. And before we get into that today, I just want to just take a moment, celebrate a little bit as a church family, just some fun things that are going on this week. And we had a kind of a big week this, this week as a church family. We had some big things happen in some, some people's lives around here. Um, this week, um, Tim Hachigan um, defended his uh, doctoral dissertation down at Boise State. Come on now. He passed that, and now you can call him Dr. Um, so for all of you those that, that really enjoy school, Tim really loves school. He's been at it for how long, bro? Oh, only 12 years. Yeah, only, only 12 years. So no, I, I, if you've ever got a chance to sit and talk with Tim, first of all, he's brilliant. Um, but God has just really gifted him in, in this space of, of, of exploring stuff that most of us don't want to even take a moment to think about. And if I'm being honest, I don't even understand half the words that he, he speaks about sometimes. Um, but this week, man, it, it, was, it was an incredible thing. It took him five and a half years to get prepared for this one moment of sitting before some really intimidating people. And Tim, I just, I just want to tell you how proud of you I am. It's been a long journey for you, bro. A lot of things in life. Just got married this last year. That was the best part of the year, huh? Um, but just, just, I'm super proud of you, man. That's a big deal. You stuck with it, um, and now you get to take a breath and just enjoy all of that education and process and journey. Um, can we give him a hand once? I'm just super proud of him. Nice job, bro. And then we had a, a, a young lady, um, she's going to like that I said young, a young lady in our church who decided to tackle Roby Creek yesterday. Um, where's Haley at? Did she boogie out here? There she is. Haley decided to go run Roby Creek. Um, I had the privilege many years ago as a paramedic to work Roby Creek. That means we got to fix all the people that hurt themselves by running on Roby Creek. Um, and never once did I ever have the desire to do what she did, um, and that is to run it. And uh, Haley, that's, that's pretty freaking awesome. I know you've done it a couple times, but let's give her a hand. That's a big deal. Fun, fun stuff for us just as we're journeying through life. Our family had kind of a crazy week. Um, this week, we have six teenagers now in our family. Um, our youngest was 12 and on Friday um, had her 13th birthday. And uh, we got to party and celebrate with her. The ironic thing is, is that now all of my kids are teenagers. My mom's birthday is on the same day. And now the entirety of her grandchildren population is all teenagers. Can everybody say, Jesus, take the wheel? Come on now. Um, man, it's, it, it's something else when you start moving into the realms of all teenagers. 
Um, we love it, um, but we're, it's just been a, a kind of a fun week for us as a family, uh, transition into some new seasons. I don't know what's going on in your life, but can I just tell you this? God's been good to you. Even in the wrestling, maybe for some of you, maybe even in some struggles, can I just tell you exactly what we sang about this morning? God is working on your behalf. Even when you don't see it, even when you don't feel it, God is doing good things in your life. He's working all of these circumstances out. And here's typically what he's doing in those moments. I don't know why I feel like I need to share it this morning, but I feel like I do. He's doing it to reveal a greater degree of who he is in your life. In other words, an infinite God will spend an infinite amount of time to teach us finite people about how good he is. Amen? So I just want to encourage you this morning, wherever you find yourself at in this journey of life, God's at work. He's doing amazing things for you um, and in you. Trust Him in the process. Can we do that? Can we trust Him? How many of you know that God knows what He's doing? Sometimes that's a hard one for us to wrestle through. God is not like you, and you should say amen. Come on now. He's good. He's faithful. He's wise. He's patient. He's kind. He's all of those things to us. And so this morning, as we get to just spend some time around the table, as we get to spend some more time talking about this thing that God's doing in our lives, I just want your hearts to be settled and at peace. God's good, and He's with you. Amen? Uh, Pastor Zach and his wife, Mackenzie, and their family are on vacation this week, and so they might even be watching online. They're on a boat right now, so I don't know if they actually have an opportunity to do that. Um, but they're, they're on vacation this week, so if you're thinking about them, just pray over them that they'd get rest, and they've had a, a grueling last few months and we're just really praying for the peace and rest of God to be upon their lives. And uh, it's going to be an awesome week for us here at the church. I want to tell you about something that's coming up. Um, this, this month, we have five Sundays in this month. And so our last Sunday, we're doing something that's called Family Fifth Sunday. And all the kids and everybody's going to be in here together, and we're going to have a blast together. We're going to spend some time together as a church family. It's actually going to be our last part of this, this sermon series, and we're going to be talking about maybe one of the coolest meals of all time, and that was the supper that Jesus had with his disciples, the very last one. And we're going to talk about that, and here's the fun part. Some kids are going to help me preach. And so we're going to have some fun together as a church family. We're also going to have a special guest that day telling us a little bit about some outreach stuff that we're doing as a church family. So I want to encourage you, be here on the last Sunday of this month, Family Fifth. We're going to have a great time together of just learning and growing. Again, it'll be our last time gathered around the table, um, but it's going to be a blast as we get into it. Amen? How many of you guys have enjoyed this series, Invited? Uh, our, our heart in it has been to help us to see how important the table is. And, and I mean this literally, the table in your home, the places that you get opportunity to sit and have meals with people is a massive open door and speaks a lot to the relational dynamics that we've had, we have around our lives. And Jesus really taught us an, an incredible lesson about that. And this series has it's really been all about food, which is most of ours favorite topics, right? Uh, most of us really enjoy food, enjoy what happens around food in our lives. And this series has been about that, but really it's been more about the people at the table. And we've discovered some of the people that Jesus has had meals with. We, we know that he hung out with the, the religious leaders. This is our Torah over here. We know that he hung out with the religious leaders, and they were, they were the, the people of, of Jesus' time that would have, would have said that they were good church-going people. They were the leaders in that space. And Jesus sat and he had a meal with them, and at the same time, he would have a meal with an immoral woman. 
Someone who was far from God with her life and the way that she lived. But Jesus invited her into that, that place of the table. We learned about the tax collectors who were really probably the most annoying people of their culture, right? They were Jewish people that were getting money for the Roman government. So basically, they were traitors. They were stealing from their own people. And Jesus went and had meals with those kinds of people. The kind of people that in your mind right now, you'd be like, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't sit down and have That's who Jesus went and hung out with. We see that Jesus had a, a little bit of a different paradigm around the, the meals that he was taking because what he saw to was the heart of the person. He wasn't looking at the exterior of who they were or what they've done. And I, and I think for us as, as, as followers of Jesus, maybe you're here today and, and you haven't begun a journey with Jesus, you're just here hanging out because somebody invited you. You're welcome. Glad you're here. Glad to have you today. But what you're going to discover about Jesus is Jesus did things differently than we do oftentimes. And this journey for those of us that are followers of Jesus, we are learning how to pattern our lives after how Jesus lived his life. How many of you know that's a lifelong work? <laughs> Come on now. So many things in our lives. And so today what I want to do is I want to bring us to the table. and I want to talk about a meal that presented an opportunity for someone to have a restored relationship that was broken. Now, I'm not going to ask you this question this morning, but I guarantee that every one of us in this room, if you're breathing air, has some relationships or has had some relationships in your past that were broken, that were difficult, that maybe you felt betrayed or rejected or denied. And we've all, we've all been there. I can just see the look on your guys' faces this morning. You're like, can we move on from this one? No, we're going to sit in it a little bit this morning. And we're going to sit in it a little bit because Jesus gave us a really beautiful picture of what to do in these moments. And I, I want to connect it with a, a story that, 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 I've heard, that I heard and, and just kind of walk you through just a little bit of a, a now picture of what that looks like. And then we're going to jump into some scripture here. So let me tell you a story today about a young man who was serving at a Christian camp um, during the summer. How many of you know of summer camps? Man, there, anybody ever been to one? Come on, they're a blast. Good, good spaces for us. Uh, this camp was in a, in a really beautiful setting. It was an old, old hotel. It was a six stories tall, beautiful brick building. And it was built and designed for the elite of the Bay Area in Northern California. Just a picturesque place. Um, after all the camps were, had, had, were done that summer, there was a family um, that was working there at that facility. And they were going to hold a wedding for their daughter. This young man and a couple of friends were hanging out at camp, just finishing out the summer. The wedding was the next day, and tons of people were gathered at the hotel. People were all over the place, inside the lobby, out on the veranda. This young man and his friends thought they would go up on the roof of the hotel and pour out some water on their friends who were a part of the wedding party down below. How many of you think this is a good idea? Yeah. Young man had been entrusted with some keys that gave him access to the otherwise very secure roof. To make a long story short, they didn't think that a cup of water was going to get it done. So instead, they grabbed a fire hose off the roof and thought that would make more of a splash. The story was that when they charged the fire hose to shoot it over the edge of the roof, it set off the fire alarm in the hotel, and the entire thing was evacuated. People came running out in their bathrobes, women with curlers in their hair. You can imagine the picture, complete chaos. No one could figure out why the fire alarm had gone off. 
So once the chaos was calmed down, the fire alarm was reset, everything seemed to be back to normal. The next day, the base leaders called a meeting to gather everybody together to figure out what had happened. No one could figure it out. The young man denied knowing anything about it and why the alarm went off, and so did everybody else in the room. For days, he walked around on that campus doing his normal everyday things, finishing out the summer. When one of those days, a voice from the director called across the campus. The young man recognized the voice and walked over, and uh, the base director put his arm around him and said, hey, you got a few minutes? I'd love to go to lunch with you tomorrow. Before the kid knew what to say, he heard the words come out of his mouth, sure, I'd be happy to. Thinking of all the ways that he could get out of it after he had committed, he obviously had a sleepless night. The feelings of guilt and shame and fear consumed his thoughts all night long. The next day arrived, and the morning seemed like an eternity. Upon arrival at the restaurant, the young man found the director sitting at the table. He stood up, wrapped his arms around him, and said, let's eat. They shared a meal together and laughed about the summer and the the fun that they had had. At the end of the meal, the director said, hey, I want you to come back next summer and be a part of our staff team again. You're a great young leader, and I'd love to have you a part of our team again. The young man couldn't take it anymore. I did it, he said. I set off the alarm. The director smiled and said, I know, but I bet you won't do it again. I trust you and the character that God is forming inside of you. See you next summer. This young man was me. (laughs) I never expected restoration and relationship in my life to come through a table. But as a 16-year-old young man, I broke relationship. But God, in a beautiful way, restored that relationship back to me. And Jesus did the very same thing when he was working with his disciples, guys that if you've read your Bible at all, you know they weren't the best, right? They made lots of mistakes. They were working through stuff. And Jesus did the same thing to the disciples as they were processing through the pain and the hurt and the frustration that they were feeling after Jesus had died. And we know this, we, we thought through the story a little bit last week, but I want to take you to a, a table that was set for the disciples and just help you to see a little bit about Jesus' heart in restoration when it comes to relationship. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to John chapter 21. John chapter 21 is where we're going to be today. And we're actually going to read a fair, fair bit of this as we go through kind of this story. And it's going to help us maybe to connect a little bit with this reality of, of this table right here. John chapter 21, verse 1. I want to just set this setting for you. This was, this was post-Jesus' death and resurrection. The disciples were now trying to figure out what they were going to do with their lives. They had actually seen Jesus a couple of times since his resurrection, but according to Scripture, it doesn't look like Jesus had given them much instruction or anything like that. He was just showing up on the scene saying, hi guys, I'm alive. And I, I don't know about you, those would have been some weird moments. You guys with me? Like trying to process through that, figure that out. Okay, so what does this mean? Jesus was walking through walls into rooms where they were having meals. The reason he had to walk in, because they had the doors locked. Like they were hiding. 
They were afraid. They didn't know what to do, right? The, the, the leader had died and was gone. Now they were told that he's raised from the dead. All of a sudden, he's walking into rooms with them. I mean, can you imagine a little bit what that would have felt like? That would have been a little disorienting for them. And we find ourselves in this place with the disciples. And, and here in John chapter 21, Jesus is going to reveal himself to them yet again. And so this is where we're going to pick up in the story. Here's what it says. It says, Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. So this is an eyewitness event from John saying, I was there. This is how this rolled out. Here's the fun. Several of the disciples were there. Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee. Anybody remember them? Sons of thunder. They were the guys that wanted to call down fire from heaven because people were being mean to them. Come on now. And two other disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. How many of you remember what Simon Peter did before he met Jesus? He was a fisherman, right? So he was going back to the familiar. And here's what the rest of them said. We'll, we'll come too. Literally, we got nothing else to do, they all said. So they went out in the boat. But they caught nothing all night. For those of you that remember, uh, Pastor uh, Zach helped us a few weeks ago. He talked to us about why they fished during the night. It was a better time to fish. That was a very familiar thing for them. The sun wasn't beaten down. The fish would come closer to the surface. They had an opportunity to actually catch something, right? So they, they knew what they were doing. They were out all night working hard um, and, 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 and not doing super well at it. It says, at dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, fellas, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. I'm sure it was like with total joy, right? They said, then he said, throw out your nets on the right-hand side of the boat and you'll get some. Now, I just want to remind you, this is exactly how Jesus met them the first time he met them. You see the irony of this moment? Like just the beauty of it, right? This is, these are the exact same things that Jesus walked through the disciples with three and a half years prior. Kind of a funny moment, huh? Then the disciple who loved Jesus, just so you know, that's the guy right in this book, John. You, you know they're very human when they're making statements like, the disciple who loved Jesus, the rest of these losers in the book, right? John's, John's writing about himself. He had some some stuff to work through in his life. Uh, sorry, I, I, I got a little off. The disciple who loved Jesus said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he was stripped down to work, jumped into the water, and headed to the shore. Doesn't that sound like Peter? The others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded nets to the shore. For they were only about for there there were about only about a hundred yards from the shore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over charcoal fire, and some bread. Here's what Jesus said: Bring some of the fish that you've just caught. Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to the shore. There were a hundred and fifty-three large fish. I love the detail on that. And then yet the net had not torn. Now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew 
it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them bread and fish. This was the third time that Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. And don't you love what he's doing here? He's inviting them to the table with him. Even in their doubt, even in their lostness, even though they went back to fishing again, not living on mission, maybe the furthest thing from it, they had quit and went back to their old life and their old pattern, and Jesus knew where to find them. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, now I want to remind you, what had Peter done just a little while earlier? He denied him. He denied him. When Jesus had gotten arrested and was being taken to be put on trial, Peter denied Jesus three times. Like openly said, I don't know that man. I don't know who he is. Don't associate me with him. And the funny part was it was a little girl who was having the conversation with Peter about that. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Notice he didn't say, hey, Peter, I want to remind you, you denied me. Notice he didn't bring up his failure or his brokenness. He just simply asked him, do you love me? And then he repeated the same question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep. Jesus said, a third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Listen to these words. Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question the third time. Peter was hurt, but Jesus was healing him. Maybe what we label as hurt in our lives is actually the pathway to healing. Jesus finished off, he said, or Peter finished off, he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Three times Peter denied Jesus. Three times Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? You know, oftentimes when we read this story, we're, we're looking at it from the, the platform of, of, you know, Jesus was trying to help Peter get his stuff back together in life. And there, there's some truth to that. But really what Jesus was trying to teach Peter was about love. What he was trying to draw Peter into a moment here was that, hey, Peter, what you've done in your past does not define who you are in your present. I've got a table that I want to invite you to. And Jesus set the table not only for Peter, but for the disciples to come and sit and be with him in that moment. And what I love about this, this story that we just read about here in John chapter 21 is that Jesus had a meal for them before he restored them. Jesus sat down and had fellowship with these people that had said they were followers of him, but were now kind of running and hiding. Jesus sat down and was having a meal with Peter, the guy who just a few days prior said, and Jesus even told him, Peter, you're going to deny me. And Peter was like, 
no, I'm not. You're crazy. There is no way that I'm going to deny you. And Jesus said, listen, Peter, before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will have denied me three times. And Peter was like, not going to happen. Anybody in this room, you don't need to raise your hand, ever been arrogant enough in our relationships to say, oh, I'll, 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 I'll never do that. Many of us here ever, ever wrestled through the process, even in our relationship with Jesus, to say, I'll never deny him. And yet the moment one of our friends at work or school asks us about Jesus, we're like, oh, I don't, I don't hmm. Right? We, we've all wrestled through these places in life. In a lot of our relationships with people around us, because we're human, how many of you know that we're not perfect? So then we do some things in relationships that we look back on down the road and we're like, man, I wish I wouldn't have done that. But I love how Jesus gave us this beautiful example of how a meal can lead away to relational restoration. How sitting down at the table with somebody and, and just opening up our hearts to them, Jesus didn't point out all their sin and their brokenness. Jesus didn't, didn't bring up to the Peter. He, he, how many of you know Jesus was very justified in looking at Peter and said, I told you so? That could have been the words that Jesus led in conversation with, but it wasn't. He invited him to come to sit and have a meal with him. And through the process of the meal, it opened the door to a relational moment where Jesus looked at Peter and said, hey, Peter, we've we got to fix this relational thing. Because I know you're walking around with your head down. You're feeling the weight and the pain of your denying me. And Jesus is just looking at him saying, that's not a good look on you. Let's fix that. And so Jesus led Peter through a process of restoration and healing. And I love the statement that, that, that is at the end of that. On the third time, Peter was hurt. He was wrestling with the conversation with Jesus because in his mind and in his trauma and in his pain and in his fear in that moment, Peter felt like Jesus was picking on him. And really what was happening was Jesus was healing him. He was bringing him to a place where Peter's heart got reoriented around what was important in life, not on the shame and regret and fear and all of the things that Peter was experiencing. Let me help you with this. Fear is what motivated Peter to deny Jesus in the first place. Love called Peter back to himself. And put him back on mission. Jesus was helping Peter set a context for his following of him. Not the fear of failure, but the expression of love, perfect love, that was casting out Peter's fear. 1 John 4.18 is that passage of Scripture that tells us perfect love casts out fear. This is what Jesus was doing through a simple meal that was cooked on rocks, on the beach, just hanging out by the Sea of Galilee, he was helping Peter process through the fear that Peter was experiencing in his life because he had rejected Jesus. The fear that Peter was working through because a little girl had confronted him about being a follower of Jesus, and Peter ran away from her, adamantly denied Jesus. And now Peter was feeling the weight of that in his life. So what did Peter do? He went back to the familiar in his life. 
He went back to his comfort zone. He went back to the thing that provided him security and safety before he met Jesus. Because of his fear and insecurity, that's where he went back to. How many of you know most of us do the same thing? And here's the beautiful thing that I love about Jesus. Jesus was not willing to let Peter stay in that place. So he invited him to the table. Jesus could have done it a lot different ways. He could have walked on water back out to the boat. He's done that before. That would have probably got their attention again. But instead, he invited them into relationship with himself at a table set on a beach. And from that place of that table, there's a beautiful restoration that took place. Here's what I know for us and for most of us in this journey that we're in, that we're going to have to deal with our fear and our failures before we're able to follow Jesus into the deeper places and mission that He has in our life. That doesn't mean we don't live on mission for Him until all of our fears are taken care of, but what it means is that we have to confront them. Jesus set a, a beautiful example here for us. Jesus will teach us how to deal with our fears because Jesus will always lead us into truth and the truth will set you free. This is what Peter experienced in this moment. The voices that Peter was hearing in his own head that drove him back to the boat, back to his own patterns of life, was you failed. Jesus, you failed the mission. He abandoned you. You left him. It's all worthless. That's what he was feeling, the emotions that he was processing through. How do we know that? Because they were still in hiding. And they were going back to a lifestyle that Jesus had led them out of. You guys see in the picture of Jesus' heart this morning? Honestly, this is why most people in this culture, in our day and age, hop from relationship to relationship, church to church, city to city, because once we actually start getting a little bit closer in relationship with people, and people start to know a little bit more about who we are and, and, and what's going on, our fears start rising to the surface, our shame, our guilt, our anxiety, all of those things that Peter was feeling in the moment, it begins to rise to the surface. And we have a choice in the moment, just like Peter did, of what are we going to do with that? How are we going to respond to the invitation of Jesus? Are we going to live in the identity of His love over us, His mercy and His grace? Are we going to follow into the place that He called us to, to partner with Him in mission, in loving people, in feeding His sheep, in taking care of people? Are we going to live in the identity that Jesus says about us? Or are we going to let fear and shame and guilt lead us back to the boat? This is why I love our Savior. It's because He's not content to leave us in our places of brokenness, but He invites us with a whole heart to come and sit at the table with Him and to process through our stuff with us in those places. But here's the challenge. We've got to face the fear. Peter could have walked away from that conversation with Jesus and been offended at it. If I'm being honest... Most of us would have probably sat in our hurt that Peter was feeling on the third question. Jesus, why would you ask me that three times? I already told you. Misunderstanding the fact that Jesus wasn't, wasn't trying to highlight Peter's failure. He was trying to highlight his love for him in that moment. 
to bring him into a place of deep healing in his life. Jesus' precious faithfulness calls us back to the table with him over and over again. He calls us back to love. Notice he invited Peter back into his mission, not into Peter's comfortable lifestyle and familiarity of fishing. Could have left Peter in that place, but he didn't. He invited Peter back into the mission of the kingdom and restored him relationally so that Peter could live with purpose in his life. Peter had already disqualified himself. Jesus restored him at the table. He restores us too. Into right relationships with him around his unchanging character and the identity that he gives us in what he's done for us. I don't know where you find yourself today, but as I was processing this this week, it was so easy for me to think about all the messed up things that I've done in my life. I, I can disqualify myself probably faster than just about any space of my life. And I'm, I'm guessing that most of us in this room feel that way too. Oh, I haven't gone to church enough. I don't read the Bible enough. I don't do this. I don't do that. And, and the thing that I love about the heart of Jesus is he never, those are never the priorities in his conversation with us. I don't know if you've ever noticed that, but as I think back over my life, Jesus is never coming to me and saying, hey, Tim, you don't spend enough time reading your Bible. He's always coming to me and reminding me of his great love for me and inviting me into the place of abiding with him and being with him, connecting in community. Why? Because Jesus knows that the greatest healing of our life, the only way that you're actually going to live in the identity of who you are is when you're staying close to Him. And fear and shame and guilt push us away from Him. His love invites us back. And I love that about Him. That His invitation is to come and sit at the table even when we've already disqualified ourselves. Revelations chapter 3, verse 19 and 20 says it this way. This way. I correct and discipline Everyone I love. This is Jesus speaking to the Latter-day Church. So be diligent and turn from your indifference. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. This is actually words spoken to the church of Laodicea. Most of us have some idea about that church, but it was a church that the accusation was, you lost your first love with me. A church that was distracted. They were busy doing lots of other things, and their love for Jesus, their passion for the kingdom, had grown cold. If I could ever maybe say something that would describe the American church... We are a very distracted bride. We are very distracted people at times because we have so much that surrounds us. But I love how Jesus says, hey, I'm at the door knocking. Hey, I'm standing at the shore yelling out to you, hey, come on in. Let's have a meal together. How many of you know Peter had to get out of the boat to go be where Jesus was? Jesus is saying right here, I'm not going to knock the door down in your life. I'm not going to do it. But I'm knocking 
will you invite me in? It's this beautiful invitation from the Savior for us to draw nearer to Him. And when we do that, what we find is the mercy of Jesus meets us there. As we close today, I just want our hearts to think about how quickly we disqualify ourselves and push ourselves away from God and how everything that Jesus is doing is to draw us back to Him in relationship. Jesus showed us that the table is the place where He restores us into relationships both with Him and reminds us of our identity and puts us back on mission. So whenever you're feeling lost, disoriented, struggling in life, here's what I want you to just always have the picture of in your mind. Jesus is standing there saying, hey, I want to have a meal with you. Can we just talk? Let's enjoy some food together. I'm not pointing my finger at you saying you're a horrible person. Can we just hang out and spend some time together? I want to remind you of how much I love you and how important this mission of the kingdom is, and you're not disqualified. That's what Jesus is doing. He stands at the door and knocks. He's calling from the shore, and he's declaring his love for you and I. Isn't that a beautiful picture? I don't know about you, but when I think of the table, and I think of Jesus' invitation to us, it causes my heart to wrestle a little bit at times as to why I push back from the table so often. Why I'm more interested in believing the other voices that surround me in my life as opposed to being reminded of Jesus' voice in my life that is always invitational, always drawing me closer to Himself. And here's why. Because I deal with fear and shame and guilt, just like the rest of us. And so what we've been invited to is these beautiful places of relationship with Jesus that lead us to the table of spending time with Him. I want to pray over us this morning as we just take a few moments and we, at the end of our services, we spend a few moments in just conversation with the people around us. This is not to put anybody on the spot. What it does is just allows us to not, not be people that hear preaching or teaching and do nothing with it, but we take a few minutes and just process what we've heard. We get to learn from each other and grow in that. And so we take a few minutes and we'll do that here in just a second. But as I was praying for just this time this week, I just felt like there's many of us that have gone back to the boat, gone back to the old comforts of life. And Jesus is inviting you, just like He did with Peter, to get out of the boat, to come pursue Him, and to know that His whole heart in relationship with you is restoration. He's not here to accuse you of anything. You know what the beautiful part of it is? Jesus already knows all of the things that we've done wrong. Come on, He already knows those things. That's not even what He's majoring in. What He desires to do is to major in His love for you and to remind you of who you are in Him. So as I pray over us this morning, I just want to invite your heart to come into that place. If you're feeling fear or guilt or shame, I want to remind you that's not the voice of Jesus in your life. He's speaking His love and invitation to you. And so I'm going to pray over us today that we would believe the voice of our Creator and put aside every other voice in our life. Jesus, we thank you that you demonstrated to us such perfect love. Lord, I thank you for the example that you set with Peter. Lord, that even in his outright denial of you, 
Lord, what you did was you invited him back into the place of relationship, sitting around the table. And Lord, I pray that today, Lord, that in our hearts and in our lives, we would be reminded that you don't see us for our failures. Lord, you see us because your blood covers us and you make us right before you. And so, Lord, today I just come against any fear, shame, guilt, any accusing voices, Lord, Lord, that are in our lives, Lord, even our own self-talk, God, that disqualifies us from relationship with you. And Lord, I thank you today. What you invite us to is loving fellowship with you, to come and sit at your table, to eat what you've prepared for us, and to be reminded that our identity is found in who you say we are, not in what we've done. And Lord, I thank you for your incredible forgiveness and grace. Lord, that meets us right here in these moments. Lord, where you call us sons and daughters, friends. Lord, even in our brokenness, God, you invite us to come. And so, Lord, today I pray that we would respond to the knocking at the door of our hearts. Lord, that we wouldn't run and hide, but Lord, that we would open up the door and let you come in and fellowship with us. Lord, I pray, Lord, that, that today, Lord, as we spend time together and just conversation, Lord, as we process through, Lord, the realities of just some of the things that we see you at work in in our lives, Lord, that our hearts would be captivated with your incredible love for us, Lord. And Lord Jesus, we thank you that you were the perfect example of what it looks like to invite the imperfect to a table with you. And Lord, as you do this work in our lives, God, may we be a people, Lord, that open up our homes and our tables, God to those that are feeling the same things that we felt, God, the fear, the shame, and the brokenness. And Lord, may they find your love evident in our homes and in our lives. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that we get to gather like this. Lord, I thank you for maybe those that are here today, God, who've, who've not met yet made a decision to follow you, Jesus. And Lord, I thank you that you just invite us to just simply believe in you and follow in so, Lord, we thank you for your forgiveness of sin in our life. Lord, we thank you for your invitation to come. God, may we be a people that are not like what we saw in Revelations who are indifferent. But, God, may we be a people who are intentional about coming and opening the door to all that you want to do in our lives. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this time together today. In Jesus' name. Thanks again for listening to this message from River Valley Church. Do you know someone who would be encouraged by it? Make sure to share it with them this week. Again, for more content from us, please check out our website at rivervalleyboise.com.